Hello and welcome back to the Come Follow Me Bible Challenge. My name is Jeremy Howard, pastoring at Orchard Hills Bible Church in Payson, Utah. Going through the New Testament this year, following with the schedule made by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, as the Come Follow Me curriculum is going through the New Testament uh, week by week throughout the year, so that at the end of the year, theoretically, you will have covered from Matthew all the way to Revelation. And today we arrive at the book of James, talking about the role of works in the life of someone who claims to be a believer, someone who claims to have faith. How do faith and works fit together? And I must say, this is the biggest passage that comes up anytime an evangelical and a Latter-day Saint seek to have a conversation about salvation. The Latter-day Saint will be very quick to go to James 2 and say, works matter. Because what is the evangelical Christian message? The the message that we have is that we are saved by grace through faith, not of works. It is the gift of God, lest any of us should boast. That's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, by the way. And the response is so often, yeah, but. Yeah, but. James chapter 2 says faith without works is dead, and so faith then must be evidenced in works. Actually, faith must be defined as works. That's kind of where we go in the conversation um, in order for this to make sense from a Latter-day Saint perspective. Paul says, Ephesians 2, faith not works. The Latter-day Saint looks at James chapter 2 and says faith is defined as works. I've mentioned it here before and in other places. I've had Latter-day Saints tell me before that faith is an action word. So faith is defined as stuff that you do in order to uh, perform, for a lack of a better word, for God. Um, So often when a Latter-day Saint, official Latter-day Saint kind of person would be explaining passages like faith alone passages in Paul's letters, It'll say, he'll say something like, yes, um, we are to have faith, but that faith means keeping our covenants with God. That faith means following the ordinances laid out for us by the Lord Jesus Christ. So faith, from a Latter-day Saint perspective, is defined as works, at least in part. And so that's why it's really important that we look at James chapter 2 today, because um, this is the main passage that is used to support that thinking, and I disagree with that thinking. I do not believe faith is defined in any way as works. That faith and works are actually two separate categories that do go together, okay? So I I would heartily affirm that faith is evidenced by works, but I would never say that works are faith or that faith is works. They're just categorically separate in definition, but in practicality, they're very much linked together. All right. Enough of all that mumbo-jumbo. Let's just read the passage. James chapter 2, starting in verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, You have faith and I have works. 
Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Verse 19, you believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that without works, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works. And as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Wow. All right, so a little bit of context for James. Just a little bit of background. Um, James is writing to believers in Jerusalem. This appears to be perhaps the first book of the New Testament written. All right, so the very first one. Um, Perhaps the Gospel of Matthew had been around uh, before this, but James is extremely early for New Testament letters. He's writing to these believers in Jerusalem who tend to be pretty licentious. They have taken grace and they've turned it into a license to sin. They, he even calls them sinners in this letter in chapter 4. He tells them to wash their hands, that they've, just, they've, they've gone too far in living uh, in, in a worldly way and claiming to be joined to Christ while doing it. So he is bringing into the equation here, into the conversation, he's bringing in the importance of works, particularly hospitality, in the Christian life. He, he doesn't seem to be specifically mentioning the law of Moses, but he used the examples of uh, clothing, daily food, uh, providing for people in those hospitable ways. And he says, you know, if you say to them, be warm and be filled, and you just send them away, your faith without works is dead. You say you have faith, but you have zero hospitality. So that faith alone, can that save you? No, it cannot. Can you be justified by that faith alone? No, you cannot. So um, James here is really getting down to the heart of what true saving faith is. And he's calling into question some of them, their salvation, if they act like the person in the illustration who doesn't show any hospitality, who doesn't show love, uh, but closes off his brother or his sister. That kind of person doesn't truly have saving faith, according to James. That's what he's talking about here. So let's hone in on uh, verses 18 to 26, where he says that uh, someone might say, uh, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Um, Interesting phrasing there, an interesting proposition, (laughs) How do you show someone faith without works? Well, you, of course, can only articulate something. And articulating something is extremely important. In Romans chapter 10, it's, there's a promise. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
Okay, so that's extremely important. But if you are like around someone for an extended period of time and all you have is just this verbal assent or it's mental assent that is expressed verbally of what that person believes and that person's life has not been affected in any way, that person's life, in fact, is contrary to what that person says, he or she believes, well, that really says something, doesn't it? He says in verse 19, you believe God is one. Well, good job. Even the demons believe that. All right, so let's move on beyond the whole mental acknowledgement of certain things. And let's talk about real faith. It's more than just mental acknowledgement. He says, faith without works is useless. A faith that is not hitched to a life of good deeds is useless. And this is a really important point where we have to think through why those two things are even hitched together. Because I'm afraid what could happen in someone's mind at this point, hearing me say what I just said, is that, see, we are to say we believe things and then, in a separate way, work really hard toward maintaining good deeds of hospitality or, you know, whatever. And then those two things together then will achieve for us salvation. But that is not the case. In fact, let me go ahead and pull up, I I should have done this ahead of time, but let me pull up Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. We looked at this together. I say we. Uh, I went through this, and perhaps you joined me a few weeks ago when we were covering the book of Ephesians, so that's something you can look up if if you've not seen that. But Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, look at how Paul talks about faith and works. For by grace you have been saved through faith, speaking to Christians, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So pause right there. Your salvation is not a result of works. So if you're thinking, okay, I start believing, and then I go over here and I start doing my works, those two things added together, the result is going to be salvation. Paul says, no, no, we cancel out that, that, that thought from the beginning. You have been saved by grace. So you can even say past tense, I have been saved by grace through faith. It's not of works at all. But that doesn't mean works are irrelevant. He goes on to say in verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So after you're saved, there are now good works to walk in that God has prepared beforehand. That's why faith and good deeds or good works must be hitched together because that's the way God set it up. If someone just claims to have faith and then the good works don't follow, a life given to the Lord doesn't follow, hospitality toward brother and sister doesn't follow, well, that's showing that the faith that person says he has is not a faith that comes from God because the faith that comes from God leads into good works. And that those good works actually vindicate the faith that he says he has. The good works prove something, don't they? And I'm not talking about giving, because anybody can write a check. I'm not talking about showing up to church. Anybody can make room in their schedules. What I'm talking about is humble, sacrificial, loving service. Laying down your life, counting other people as more important than yourself, 
showing hospitality, true, genuine, sacrificial hospitality, so that other people could be blessed. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, self-control, all of those things. This is all a work of God that flows from true faith. The faith that God gives, the salvation that is wrought in a person's heart by grace, the seed of the Word implanted that grows to bear fruit, that fruit is going to match what Scripture calls us to beyond simple external things like giving some money or showing up to church or whatever. Those things will certainly be involved, but it's going to be much deeper than that. It's going to be a life given over to the Lord for His purposes, living a life separated from the world for His glory, a life for serving others, washing people's feet, all to please God. That is what follows genuine faith. A life of works follows genuine faith. This is the way God has set it up. They're categorically separate. Faith is not defined as works, and works, they're not defined as faith, but they are hitched together in God's system the way that God has arranged this. All right? And so back to James chapter 2, let's continue looking. Verse uh, 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works. And I think here James is making clear, as even he has done earlier in the chapter, that faith and works are categorically different. Faith is not an action word that is defined by good works, and works are not defined by faith. They are different, but they go together. See, this is how James is talking about it. Faith works with works. <laughs> a little wordplay there. Faith was working with Abraham's works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. He was vindicated. This was a great test in Abram's life when he was called to sacrifice his only son on the altar. This was a test where God was revealing what was in his heart. And what was the result of that test? That there was faith. That all through these tests, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, there were times where he still failed, but in this test, it was revealed that he had faith and that was credited to him as righteousness. Those works were the great revealer of faith. They, he was tested and his works that came out of that test vindicated the faith he said that he had. Really, really important to understand how these two things are working together. And, uh, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. So what I was just talking about, it was, it was fulfilled. There was vindication of this, that Abram, Abraham really did have faith. And he was called the friend of God. That's pretty cool. Just a, That's like a bonus phrase. Out of all the other things going on in this paragraph, there's just like a little bonus Abraham was called the friend of God. So you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Right? This is where we want to freak out because it's like one of the major points of the Protestant Reformation of which I and this church are downstream is that we are justified before God by faith alone. 
that it is not by works that we justify ourselves. In fact, you could just look at the internal evidence. We've looked at Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, and we've looked at James 2. You could just look at the internal evidence and say, well, James and Paul must have been arguing with each other here because Paul specifically says that salvation is not a result of works. And here James says, you see, man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Well, this will perhaps help you to think through this a little bit uh, and to, I don't know, to synthesize these passages. Number one, it's helpful to remember that James and Paul knew each other and they got along. (laughs) Okay? I think this gets missed so often in this conversation. If you read through the book of Acts, particularly Acts 21, though Acts 15 is also relevant. Uh, Before both of those chapters, this epistle by James was written. Okay, so Acts 15, um, you have, I believe, James already being written, and the book of Galatians was already written, where Paul, again, was very strong that salvation is by grace, not by works. Well, James and Paul are in the same room and they're like leading together and getting along and having conversations and agreeing. And there's no mention by Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, that they had long debates about whether someone was justified by faith alone or not. None of that was going on. In fact, both times in Acts 15 and in Acts 21, you have Paul yielding to the advice of James. And Paul was clearly an apostle in James, the case of saying that James was actually an apostle, I think, is a little little difficult. Um, but in, at any rate, Paul was clearly an apostle. He could have pulled rank, I think, over James, and he didn't. He submitted to James's guidance. And yet, you have these passages where it seems like Paul was in strong disagreement with James. But he wasn't. He wasn't. So, um, number one... Let's, uh, let's recognize that they got along, and if they had an issue, if they disagreed on this issue, it certainly would have been mentioned. Um, Paul's disagreement with Barnabas at the end of Acts 15 over whether or not they should take John Mark on their missionary journey, that was mentioned. So I'm pretty sure if Paul and James disagreed on what the gospel was and how a person was saved, that it would have been mentioned in the book of Acts, all right? But it wasn't. So there's one thing to consider. From there, you can start thinking then about how these two guys, their, their approaches to this subject fit together. On the one hand, you have Paul who is warding off legalism, especially when you read his letter to the Galatians. You had so many people who were coming into that church saying, a way that a person is going to be saved, it will be by keeping the law, being circumcised and basically becoming a Jew that person will then be qualified for salvation. And Paul's saying, no, no, it's not by works. Uh, To the Ephesians, he was warding off legalism. To the Romans, he's warding off legalism. And and even in places where there wasn't an imminent threat like in Galatia, he still has to clarify because that's a constant threat in the church would be that legalism would creep in and change, distort the gospel, and make it all about our own efforts earning us something with God. So Paul is taking that approach so often with with churches. James, on the other hand, is writing to a group of people who aren't dealing with legalism. They are actually fully immersing themselves, it seems, in self-willed fleshly living. They aren't regarding 
the commands of God at all. They're just going and they're doing what they want to do. They're neglecting those things that they've been called to pay attention to. And so James is actually having to pull them back toward reverence toward God and the importance of obedience because they've let that slide. So you have on the one side, people elevating the role of obedience to being a saving act, and you have on the other side, people diminishing the role of obedience to being something that Christians don't even need to worry about. So instead of being Face, like instead of facing each other with swords drawn, James and Paul aren't fighting. They're actually back-to-back fighting different enemies of the same gospel. So they're not fighting each other. They're fighting different enemies of the same gospel. And Paul, in fact, if you read Paul thoroughly, he's very balanced on this issue, and so is James, in fact. But um, Paul says in his letters, not just, you're saved by grace, you're saved by grace, you're saved by grace, and uh, just go... You know, be uh, be however you want because you're saved by grace. That's not Paul's approach. He would make very, very clear, you are saved by grace through faith. But then he would also instruct God's people in how to live, and he would admonish and rebuke where he needed to admonish and rebuke. He was very balanced. When you read through James, he wasn't just, Christians, you need to work, get to work, go to work, Christians. Christians, you have good deeds to do. Christians, quit slacking. Christians, he wasn't doing that. You read through, and yes, he's emphasizing the role of works in the Christian's life because of that particular need. It's very clear he needed to say what he said. But he also talks about this law of liberty. He encourages them to live and act as those who would be judged by the law of liberty. He encourages them to look to the word implanted. So whether he's talking about the word of God that is implanted into the believer's heart, uh, where Little by little, over time, that word grows, it develops, and bears fruit. Or whether he's talking about Jesus, whether he's talking about the one who comes and makes his home in our heart. Um, he's pointing believers to someone or something outside of themselves that is able to save them. He says, pay attention to the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. He's not ever saying, you can save yourself. He's appealing to God's power to save them. Okay, so really, this conversation can uh, really get off the rails in a hurry when when just basic context is not understood. And uh, I would say here, going back to verse 24, when James says that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone, the faith that would be alone that he has in mind is the faith up here, the faith without works. Show me your faith without the works. Okay, that's that's a non-saving faith. That's just like a a verbal articulation of acknowledging information, a a mental acknowledgement of yeah, Jesus died and rose again. I be, I believe that as a fact of history that that happened. Well, okay, lots of people, even the demons know that. Lots of people believe that. So James is making the point that that faith, if it's alone, it's saying something about that faith. It's a non-saving faith. You're just at the mental acknowledgement stage. True faith is a genuine trust, a true giving over the the rights of your life to God. And and it's really not giving him control because he's already in control, but it's an acknowledgement of that, a, a true uh, dependence on God thoroughly, 
not just for life and breath and every good thing, but for all of your salvation, all of your exaltation, relying completely and totally on the person and work of Jesus Christ and saying, Jesus is my life and my only hope. That's what true, genuine faith is. And that faith will vindicate itself. It will reveal itself through works. It will be tested and tried, and what will come out is a life that is lived for the Lord. Not a perfect life, not a perfect life, but there will be works that evidence that faith. Um, I'll close this by reading John Calvin's commentary on this. And if you know me, and if you've been following this, you know that I've read John Calvin never. So don't get all, I don't know, weird, because people get weird when they hear John Calvin's name. But I thought this was good. He's talking about uh, James, and he says, It appears certain that he is speaking of the manifestation, not of the imputation of righteousness, as if he had said, Those who are justified by true faith prove their justification by obedience and good works, not by a bare and imaginary semblance of faith. So he's saying here that James is saying that James is speaking of the manifestation He's saying that James is speaking of the manifestation, not the imputation of righteousness, but the manifestation of good works that prove faith. These are big words, aren't they? Imputation of righteousness. That is what happens when a person first truly believes God causes that person to be born again, and that person is granted the full righteousness of God. He became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That happens when you first believe, you become the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. James isn't talking about that moment of you you work your way toward that moment. But he's saying that faith is manifested. He's speaking of the manifestation of, of faith in a person's living. So he says, it's as if he has said, those who are justified by true faith prove their justification by obedience and good works, not by a bare imaginary semblance of faith. He goes on to say, in one word, he is not discussing the mode of justification, but requiring that the justification of believers shall be operative. So he's not saying you become justified by doing these good works, you work your way toward justification, but he's saying that your justification, if you've been justified by God through faith, that that justification will be operative in your life. That gift that's been given to you, the righteousness of Christ, will make itself, again, that word manifest. He goes on to say, As Paul contends that men are justified without the aid of works, so James will not allow any, any to be regarded as justified who are destitute of good works. This is a great sentence, and I kind of butchered it because my timing and intonation was off. He says, again, as Paul contends that men are justified without the aid of works, so James will not allow any to be regarded as justified who are destitute of good works. Now, I think we, we could just leave it at that. I mean, that, that's, that's what's going on. Paul contends that men are justified without the aid of their works. And James will not allow any to be regarded as justified who are destitute of good works. And both agree with each other. Paul agrees with James, and James agrees with Paul. You just, you got to read it all in context. 
and it all fits. That was from uh, Calvin's Institutes, who I just read to you. And uh, I hope this advances this issue in your mind and that you're able to work through these issues a little bit better now, having some broader context. And hopefully I said something helpful. Okay, these can be difficult conversations. These can be really high uh, tension conversations when you have them with uh, people who with whom you disagree. But um, these are very important conversations to have, and that's, those tensions should not discourage us from having these conversations. So read all of James. Read all of Ephesians, Paul's work in Ephesians. And I trust that the Lord will make it quite clear how they fit together. Okay, thanks for listening today. God bless.